could it be? How could the one, the chosen one, the one who had chosen me, be gone? You see, he had put to death my way of life, saved me, healed me, brought wholeness, goodness, purpose, and light. When that afternoon sky was filled with the darkness of night, everything I knew, this woman I had become, this woman who had been made brand new, this life I shared with a community of sisters and brothers was upended. And we cried out in confusion. How could his life through such injustice have ended? He was ridiculed, mocked, and beaten, bruised and bleeding, hanging like a criminal, nails pounded through his hands and feet. If his life was over, then so was mine. But how could that be? Through miraculous grace and healing, he deliberately chose to rescue and restore my soul my body. Then as the dawn crept in with swift purposed feet, bloodshot eyes, throat raw and tight from expressing my grief, I returned where we left him. Tightly clutching spices, perfumes and oils while questions, confusion and the deepest sadness form strangling hands around the truth, the way and the life that I thought was this man. To care for him one last time, the stone would need to be moved. The Roman guards would have to let my sisters and I through. Could we roll the stone ourselves? Would these men treat us with dignity and honor? But then I thought, what would any obstacle matter if it meant meeting the needs of my friend, my healer? These questions became dust in the wind as my eyes beheld the emptiness of that tomb. Panic, fear, and rage rumbled through me. Where had they taken him? What had they done with my friend's broken and pierced body? The ground trembled, and before me was a man who looked like lightning, his voice filled with calming authority saying, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus. He is not here. He is risen just like he said. Why are you, Mary, looking for the living among the dead? Memories flashed through my mind from when we had been in Galilee. His words now ringing in my ears. The Son of Man had to be crucified and on the third day raised again. Hope stirred in my chest. I knew this couldn't have been the end. Moving as quickly as my feet could carry me, I had to tell my brothers who had been locked in a room hiding. He lives, he lives. He did exactly what he had said and because he lived, hope became reality. The darkness that had surrounded the doubt and the truth that I had surrendered my life to was broken by blinding light. We had been taken from death to life in the blink of an eye. This was the news I was entrusted with to share. Would the others believe my words? conquered death why should I be scared death to life death to life yes this was the rescuer redeemer restorer and friend that I knew that too was empty but I was not that emptiness became fullness fullness of life and fulfillment of prophecy my debt our debt paid so if you now know what I know the grave was empty then you know we can stand fully secure fully confident, wholly forgiven in Jesus' victory. Come on, church, yay! Let's go! Come on, church, would you stand up on your feet? Let's sing to the Keel Kings, who is alive this morning. Come on! Hey, hey! If you see what I see, that the grave is empty then you know what i know anything is possible do you see what i see and i see signs and i see wonders see what i see i see lightning i hear thunder you see what i see and something stirring six feet under 
Jesus like this. That's it. Hey, 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 hey. He's alive. He's alive. And I see Sunday and I see wonders. I see birds of living color. He said things coming back to life again. I believe there's about to be another resurrection. Hey, hey. I see signs and I see wonders. Birds of living color. I see birds of living color. Dead things coming back to life again. I believe there's about to be another resurrection. Sleeper, he is risen. We are come alive, come alive. Wake up, sleeper, he is risen. We are risen with him, paradise. From the grave is empty, then you know what I know, anything is possible, do you see what I see, I see signs and I see wonders, do you see what I see, oh I see lightning, I hear thunder, do you see what I see, something stirring six feet under,
said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And Jesus has risen from the grave. And today we celebrate that life. We celebrate the power over the grave. We celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. So we want to fill this place with praise this morning. First Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have nothing to be afraid of. In fact, we can lift our praise and we can sing at the top of our lungs. Let's give him praise today. Let's praise the name of Jesus.
your sacrifice, but we thank you that you rose again. Only you can do that. God, I just pray that we celebrate today as a family. We celebrate with joy and anticipation for what God is going to do. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Happy Easter! Woo! My name is Carly. And I'm Emily. We are so glad that you all are here today, man. It is a good day to be together, to celebrate together. Happy Easter, you guys. Um, we want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are new or visiting for the first time. We have something out in our lobby called the Guest Hub. So if you go out these doors and to the left, we are a church that loves to get to know each other. So we want to meet you. So be sure and swing, um, swing by the Guest Hub on your way out um, so we can say hi. Uh, everybody needs to get their phone out. So get your phone out. Those of you who have your phones, scan that QR code that's up there on the screen. Or scan the QR code on the chair in front of you. This will pull up something that we call the FYI. This is just a great way to keep up to speed on everything that we have going on at local. Because um, there's always so many good things happening. And speaking of what's happening next, we will be continuing our series after Easter, going through our values. So whether you're new or you've been here for a while, we would love for you to return and take part in the series of looking at what makes TLC who we are. We would love for you to come and be a part of that and to really lean into this series that we're in, we're in the middle of right now. And then after that, we are gonna be going into a relationship series. And so we would love for you to just keep that on your radar, invite a friend that that is the series that we'll be going into next, and we would love to have you join us. So we're going to transition into watching a video to prepare our hearts for the Easter message. One of my favorite Easter memories uh, happened when I was six years, I don't remember for sure, I'm pretty sure I was six. I got my first Easter basket. Now, uh, before uh, uh, my mom uh, gets mad at me after the service, like, we gave you Easter baskets for your whole life. That was the first one that I remembered at least, and the reason that I remembered it was uh, because for the first time ever, I had in my Easter basket a chocolate Easter bunny. That's right. Friends, to a six-year-old who liked chocolate, this was absolute gold. I, in fact, it turned me from someone who liked chocolate to someone who loves chocolate. I remember taking that glorious, heavy chocolate Easter bunny out of the box pulling back the beautiful foil and starting to gnaw on that rabbit's ear. And I gnawed through that solid chunk of magical chocolate for three days straight. Greatest three days of my six-year-old life. I'm not even joking. It was magical. Now, fast forward two years later. I'm sure we got Easter baskets every year, but we didn't always get an uh, a chocolate Easter bunny. And, and so I think it was two years later, we got another Easter basket, and I saw inside of my Easter basket, friends, not just a chocolate Easter bunny, 
but a much larger chocolate Easter bunny. I, I assumed that my seven-year-old self or eight-year-old self was going to destroy my six-year-old self because that bad boy was going to take at least a week to gnaw through. And so I remember taking it out of the box and pulling back the tin foil, and I took my first amazing bite, and <laughs> what was wrong with this thing? It had a hollow ear. Who, who does that? Why, why would anybody make a chocolate Easter bunny that had a hollow ear? And, and I knew this must have been some just terrible mistake, right? It must have just been the ear that didn't quite get filled all the way up with chocolate. And so I remember literally ripping all the foil off, flipping that bad boy around until I got to the little bunny's toe and took another bite. <laughs> And it was hollow all the way through. A hollow chocolate Easter bunny? Who is that evil? To say I was devastated would not be an understatement. Every year, we make our kids Easter baskets. Now, when our kids were younger, my oldest is 19, so it's not quite as magical anymore to see them walking through the yard looking for Easter eggs, but we still make Easter eggs for my nieces and nephews. They love searching, and there's nothing funner than seeing a, a little kid walking through, holding their basket, just looking everywhere to try to find the Easter, and then they pick up the egg, right, and they bring it back, and they put it in their bag, and then after they've gathered them all up, they then take them and they'll open them up, right, and see what's inside. Uh, we always put all kinds of different things like mini Snickers or like mini Reese's or some jelly beans or a Hershey Kiss. Some of them we even put two quarters in. Mm-hmm. Some of them, usually five, get a dollar bill. High roller, baby. And then there's one that usually gets called the golden egg that gets a $5 bill. That's 10 whole dollars for those of y'all counting at home with me, okay? That's a lot of money. Now, everybody was always looking for the ones that were lightweight because those are the ones that must have the money in it, right? But once in a while, accidentally, we would put an egg out that was empty. Can you imagine how disappointed you are when you're a little kid and you finally find an egg and dad forgot to put something inside of it? Empty's like a bad word, right? I mean, if you went and poured yourself a bowl of cereal and you went to the fridge and you're so excited to eat that bowl of cereal at 10.30 at night, and you open the fridge and you grab the carton of milk and it's empty. Right, yeah, yeah. then you go to the freezer and open up, well, I guess I'll just have to have some ice cream, and you realize that the kids ate it all but put the carton back there so you wouldn't know, and you pull it out, and it's empty. Empty's bad, right? Empty stomach, empty gas tank, empty wallet, an empty house when the kids have all left, empty promises, empty relationships, empty purpose, in life, empty is usually seen as bad, but, but what if I were to tell you that an empty Easter egg might actually be a better symbol for Easter than a full one? Now, we have the privilege of hindsight, all right? When we come to church on Easter Sunday, we know that we're celebrating the fact that the tomb is empty because Jesus rose from the grave, that he's alive. But that very first Easter Sunday, that's not at all how Jesus' followers experienced it. There was a group of women, at least five, that were there when Jesus was crucified. We know that the apostle John was also with them. There may have been some of the other disciples who were scattered around the crowd. We don't know, but at least those five women or so, and John were right there, and they saw everything that happened. They saw Jesus' body, tattered, bleeding from the whips, from the nails that they had put into his hands. They, they saw him hanging on the cross, trying to grab a breath that was hard as his arms were being pulled 
farther and farther from his body, making it more and more impossible to breathe. They saw when, when he raised his head with a shout of victory and said, it is finished. And then breathed his last and his head sunk. They saw the life leave his body. They saw when the Roman centurion came over and to make sure that Jesus was dead, took his spear and put it in his side. They saw the blood and the water run out to prove what the Roman centurion already knew, that Jesus was in fact dead. They saw when the body was lowered off from the cross, lifeless. And because it was Friday evening and the sun was about to go down, they had to bury Jesus as quickly as they could. Uh, you see, this was uh, Passover week, and so this was the Passover Sabbath. And Sabbath starts Friday at sundown and goes to Saturday at sundown. And so they had to have the body in the grave. You couldn't leave the body out, otherwise you wouldn't be able to do anything with it, and it would just be exposed to the elements. So hastily they wrapped him as quick as they could, and they brought him to a tomb that was nearby. No one had ever been in, and they kneeled down and put him through the entrance and laid him there as quick as they could, came back out, rolled the large stone over the entrance, and it was sealed. In fact, Roman guards actually wound up guarding it, and they had to leave. Dreams shattered, devastated what they had just experienced, and that's Friday night. And then all day Saturday, and they can't do anything with the body. They haven't been able to properly bury it. They haven't been able to bring the spices that would normally be put alongside the body, wrapped carefully for the body to decompose. And they have to wait through Saturday because then when Sabbath is over, it's dark. They can't do anything then. They have to wait for first light on Sunday morning. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story, Luke chapter 24. It's that first Sunday morning. And It says in verse 1, on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, duh, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Some angels appear out of nowhere. Now, to be fair, right? It's already freaky when you're dealing with a dead body. I don't care who you are. They're inside a tomb. It's already freaking them out, not just because this is their friend, their their Lord, the one that they looked up to, they thought was going to rescue them. But they're also in a tomb that they don't know. And when they get there, the stone's been rolled away. That also is a total shock for them. They were not expecting that. And when they walk inside, there is no body. Who took Jesus? What did they do to him? Where did they take him? And then out of nowhere, some angels pop up. You'd be freaking out too. And they say to the women, Why do you look for the living among the dead? In other words, Jesus is alive. Why are you looking for a a dude that's alive in a tomb where dead people hang out? And they remember what Jesus said. In fact, the angels quote it to him. It says, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. That was a direct quote Jesus had told them. Text says in verse eight, then they remembered his words. Oh yeah, Jesus did say that. I didn't really get it then. And to be honest, they don't really get it yet, even here, in this moment. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. This is Jesus' 11 disciples minus Judas. And to all the others. There's a number of followers of Jesus that are disciples of Jesus. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others. At least two other Marys that are part of that group who told this to the apostles, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. What do you mean? What do you mean that you showed up and the tomb was 
empty. The stone had already been rolled back. What are, what are you talking about? The, the strips of linen are still there. Well, what, what happened? Where did they take? Some dudes in gold sequins started talking to you out of nowhere? Are you crazy? What's going on? Their clothes were lightning, like on like blaring. Like, what do you mean? And so they don't believe him. They think they're talking nonsense. Peter, though, Peter's like, I, I got to go see for myself. So he takes off. He runs. Says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He went away. Those two words seem to signify all of the story up to this point. You just get this overwhelming sense of emptiness. It's an empty tomb. The women who go there to do this respectful act for the body of slain Jesus show up and some angels say he's not here, he's alive. And, and they rightfully so freak out. And they wonder, what, what's happened? Where, where did he go? Who, who took him? Where did they take his body? Peter, same thing, shows up, sees the same stuff. And they still don't yet understand. Uh, they had an idea of what Jesus was supposed to do. What, what they wanted him to do. What they expected him to do. They thought he was the Messiah. But they had a very different understanding of what the Messiah was going to do. They thought Messiah was going to conquer Rome. Just as Moses, with God's help, had conquered Egypt and rescued Israel from bondage, they thought that Jesus was going to then conquer Rome and rescue Israel from bondage and oppression there too. But it looks like Rome has actually, instead of being conquered by Jesus, has actually conquered Jesus themselves. I mean, he was killed right in front of their very eyes. And there's this overwhelming sense of just emptiness. The body's not there. What now? What now? All my hopes, all my dreams, all the stuff that I thought was supposed to happen, what am I supposed to do now? You ever felt a sense of emptiness in your life? I actually think this is a pretty pervasive feeling in our culture. Uh, we hide it well, right? Social media, we look so good on social media, don't we? My family was just on vacation last week on spring break. You look at my pictures, like everything's awesome, right? We're like finding cool stuff at the beach. We're all arms around each other, smiling most of the time. You're like, oh, they must have such a great family because I didn't post any videos of the 15 hours of drive down there and back that we were fighting the whole time or the time that I lost my patience with the kids or some other driver who thought they were supposed to be in that lane when they should have been in the other. You know what I'm saying? We do a good job of hiding our emptiness. It looks good on the outside, just like a hollow chocolate Easter bunny. It looks great from the outside, but there's a sense of emptiness that we feel inside. Now, uh, we, we cover it up with social media, and we try to fill that, that gnawing sense of emptiness, like, who am I? What am I actually here for? What, what's, what's my purpose? What's actually, we try to put all kinds of things in there. Some of it, like, terrible, right? Addictions, gambling, drugs, pornography, the the addiction to try to prove to other people that we're actually valuable and worth their love or their respect, all kinds of different things that we will throw into that space, hoping that somehow that, that gnawing sense that I'm made for something more will be filled. Most of the time, though, we try to fill that with really good things, like our pets and our friends and hobbies, and good things like our work, right? Like if I can just get that job, if I could just get in with that company or, or get that promotion so that I can get that paycheck, so I can get that thing, like maybe that will finally feel, I'll finally feel like I have a sense of purpose and like I'll know what my identity actually is, not just what I'm trying everybody else to think that it is. I'm trying to fill this hole. Sometimes it's not just good things, it's great things, like our families. 
We think to ourselves, if I could just get married, if I could just meet that guy or that girl, if I could just go on that date, if I could, if we could have kids, finally I would feel, I'd be able to give them all the things that I didn't get to have. If I could have grandkids, oh my goodness, what I would be able to do and love and care for, sacrifice, and we think that somehow that's going to fill the hole that we have inside of ourselves, that thing that we feel. But it doesn't. And we try and we try and we stuff more stuff in there and, and we still have that gnawing sense of emptiness. We were created by God to have a relationship with him. And, and no matter what we try to stuff into that space, it will never actually fill us. It will never actually fulfill us. And so what we often do is we just keep ourselves busy, distracted. Uh, we are great at making sure that we don't ever have to sit in silence, right? I get into my car, I turn on the radio, I put in a podcast, I'm at home, I got something going on the TV. I never want to be alone where I actually might have to come face to face to listen, to ask the questions. And so if I can just keep myself distracted, just keep myself busy, just do the next thing, keep going and going and going and going, everything will be okay because I won't have to think about it. But every once in a while, in a moment where we don't expect it, it pops back up. We have that gnawing sense that there's something more. And I think that's exactly what the disciples were feeling. There's a sense of emptiness. Man, all their hopes and dreams for their future, all of it seems to go away. We learn about another couple, uh, Cleopas, and I think it's Mary, his wife. We're not told who the other companion is, but they're leaving Jerusalem. They've been some of the disciples, followers of Jesus, and they're heading back home. They don't know what else to do. He's dead. So we pick up the story in verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, the word discussed there, talked and discussed, uh, this is why I think that they're husband and wife. The word discussed is usually translated argued. <laughs> you've been in a walk with your wife or your husband and uh, you're uh, having a conversation, right? Sometimes my kids will be like, are you guys fighting? No, we're having a discussion, okay? Well, these two are talking and discussing about all the things that they have just experienced over the last couple of days with each other. Jesus himself, it says, came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't know what that means exactly. If maybe just in their grief, they just couldn't bear to recognize it was Jesus. Maybe they just had no mental picture for the fact that Jesus could be with them because, well, they knew Jesus was dead. In fact, Mary had been there at the cross. Maybe Jesus was wearing a hoodie. I ain't know, but all I know is that they don't recognize him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? What y'all arguing about? They stood still, their faces downcast. Do you see that same level of emptiness again? All their hopes and dreams too have been dashed. They don't know what to do. They're going home. They're on the road to Emmaus. And when he asked them that question, it literally stops them in their tracks. You just feel that gnawing sense of need hollow. It says their faces are downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I was like, man, you've been hiding under a rock, bro, because everybody knows about, this. everybody's been talking about this. Really, you don't know? Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Powerful in what he said, powerful in what he did. He was pure before God. He was pure before us. The chief priests, though, they, them and, the, and our rulers, they, they handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
but we had hoped. You ever felt that way? But we had hoped. I had hoped that if I could, if I could just be in a relationship with that guy or that girl, or I had hoped that if my husband would just be willing to go see a counselor like all this, I just hoped that I could maybe get prayed. I just hoped that my kid would be able to succeed in this year. I just hoped that if I could have gotten that job, I had just hoped that if I had finally made it and gotten that house, and, and well, maybe not that house, but that other house where I was going to spend all the rest of my Fill in the blank, right? But we had hoped. If only. That sense of emptiness just seems to hang heavy on them as well. Uh, there's a French philosopher from the 1600s, brilliant, brilliant dude. His name is Blaise Pascal. Uh, he said this about that, that sense, that gnawing sense that there must be something more that I must be created for something more. He said this, he says, uh, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there, once, uh, there was once in mankind a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This we try in vain to fill with everything around us, seeking in things that are not there the help we cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and unchanging object. In other words, by God himself. Uh, C.S. Lewis, brilliant Oxford uh, professor and author, uh, he called this the God-shaped hole. So every single one of us are born, designed by God with a God-shaped hole. And it doesn't matter what we try to stuff into it, doesn't matter what types of things we try, Family, good stuff, jobs, hobbies, get that next paycheck, get that next thing, have that next relationship, friendship, whatever. We stop, we put, but nothing can fill it. Only God himself. Why, how, we were designed by God. He wants to be in relationship with us. In fact, that's exactly why he allowed Jesus his one and only son to go to the cross, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty that, that I deserve to pay, that you deserve to pay. But he didn't just leave him there. He rose him back from the grave. Keep reading in the story. The last section we're going to look at today, starting in verse, flip over here, 27. Jesus starts walking with Cleopas and Mary back to their home in Emmaus. And he begins telling them all about who he is and how the Old Testament scriptures had prophesied and talked about him. It says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it or serve it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Poof. Like, yo, man, how cruel is that? They've been hanging out this whole time. Finally, they realize who he is. And then he's like, Psh, all right, peace, y'all, I'm out. Psh, gone. Look what they say. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When Jesus is with you, when Jesus is speaking to you, your heart will burn too. They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem where they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, Mary and Cleopas, told the rest what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Two thoughts I want to close us with this morning. The first is actually found in verse 29. In verse 29 it says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. 
This is their home. And they have loved this conversation with Jesus, and it's getting late, and Jesus acts like he's still going somewhere else. And they're like, yo, you can't go anywhere. Like, it's getting late. You need to come stay with us. Let us give you a meal. Let us feed you. Let us take care of you. Let us serve you. Let us host you. That's what you do if it's your house, right? Your house, you're the host. So they invite Jesus in. They make the invitation. You see, Jesus never forces himself into a house or a life. You got to invite him. Do you notice what happens when they invite Jesus in? Jesus is the one who is being hosted, but once he enters into the home, he winds up turning into the host. When they sit down at the table, it's Jesus who blesses the food and the house and the couple. It's Jesus who takes the bread and breaks it and begins to feed them. It's Jesus who serves them. Jesus won't force his way into your life, but when you invite him in, he will then take over and begin to care for you, bless you, feed you, serve you. That's what he lives for. It's why he went to the cross. It's why he endured the pain and the suffering and the humiliation and the scorn and the mocking. Why he endured the torture. Why he died. Why he laid in a tomb until the third day when he rose back to life. Because he wants to be invited in. And when you invite him in, he becomes the host. The other thing I want to point out as we close is actually in verse 33. After Jesus takes over the role of host and begins to care for, feed, bless them, their eyes are open and like, it's Jesus, like alive, like the dude that was dead, the guy I used to know, like that was, he was talking to us, like man, we're, like we could, like our hearts were burning. Something was going, like I couldn't turn my mind off. I had those like butterfly, I could feel it, and there's him, and he's gone. So what do they do? They got up, verse 33, and returned at once to Jerusalem. It's the same road. There is a road that leads to Emmaus, and there is a road that leads from Emmaus. It's the exact same road. The only difference is whether you've chosen to walk with Jesus and invite him in. You see, once you invite Jesus in, he begins to host you. He begins to transform you. And that road, that journey, absolutely is changed forever. The road to Emmaus is taken in disappointment, disillusionment, distraction, and emptiness. But the road from Emmaus is taken in joy, and passion, and purpose, and in life. And so I want to close this morning by simply asking a very simple question. Which road are you on today? Is the road that you're on filled with disappointments and disillusionments, a sense of emptiness, hollowness, where you're like, I, th I think I'm probably meant for something more, but I'm just trying to keep myself distracted so I don't actually have to answer the, the real question, the hard question, that one that's just sitting in there aching in my soul. Or are you on the road that's filled with joy and purpose because you've invited Jesus into your life, that God-shaped hole that nothing else can fill has finally been filled, and you're beginning to experience that life, the life that he promised, the life that so many in this room are living and experiencing, I'll be the first to acknowledge, man, I, it's real. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm like for sure not a perfect follower of Jesus. I got a long way to go still. But man, I, I know what it was like before I found Christ. All the ways I was trying to fit in, all the things I hoped people would think of me, all the ways I was trying to fill that hole and yet when I found Jesus, he began to fill it for me in a way that I could never even begin to anticipate. And he's continued to do that throughout my life. I'm talking from experience here. What Jesus did on the cross and at the empty tomb that we celebrate today, the filling of emptiness, that's what he can do for you, what he wants to do for you. So what I want to do right now is just simply say there's two ways to live. You can live with an empty you or you can live with an empty tomb. But that choice can only be made by you. Jesus never forces himself in. 
He won't do it today, but he is here right now in this moment, at this place, inviting you, asking you, will you invite me? Will you say yes? And so there are some of you this morning that God had orchestrated this date from the beginning of time. He knew you were going to be here. You didn't maybe know you were going to be here, but he did. And maybe you feel like Cleopas and Mary, where their heart was burning within them. There's something inside you right now. You don't even know what it is. But you feel it in your heart. You feel it in your head. Something's going on in your gut. That, my friends, is the voice of Jesus. That's Jesus talking to you, speaking to you, saying, yo, I'm here. I died on the cross for you, and I rose again so you could experience that same resurrection life. Will you invite me in? So what I'm going to ask everybody to do right now is just go ahead and bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And if that's you this morning and you just know you need to invite Jesus in, you've never asked him to come into your life to take over, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I just want you to pray in your own words, in your head, God is right here, right here now with you. He can hear. He knows what you're thinking. And just talk to him and say, God, I, I believe. Today, by faith, I believe in the resurrection. And I want, I want you to come into my life. God, I want you to take over. I give you permission. Please forgive me for all the ways that I've screwed up and messed up. I give you my failures. I give you my success. You can have all of me. I invite you in. Take over. From here on out, Jesus, I'm yours. If that was you, if you prayed that prayer today, if you invited Jesus in, I'd like to know that because I want to pray for you in a minute. I'm going to just ask everybody, just keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. But if that was you, if you prayed to invite Jesus in for the first time, just raise your hand. It doesn't have to be super high, just shoulder height or whatever so I can see. Yep, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh, I see you. Anybody else today said yes? Yes, I see you. I think that there's some of you that are in here this morning that you gave your life to Jesus. You invited him into your life. Might have been months ago, maybe years ago. But if you're honest with yourself, you've been trying to walk this life without him for the last long while. And today, right here, you know Jesus has been talking to you and he says, I want to continue. I want you to recommit yourself to me. I want you to give me everything so we can walk in this life together. If you've already given your life to Christ, but today you need to make a recommitment, you just need to say yes again, to be all in again, I'd like you to raise your hand just real, not too high, because I want to be able to pray for you. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Anybody else before I pray? Yeah. Amen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Jesus, you're sitting here and you're looking not just at the hands, God, but at the hearts of every single person in this room. Jesus, you transformed me. You're still transforming me, and it's all because of the resurrection. Jesus, if you didn't rise from the dead, then everything you said before you died wouldn't matter. But if you did rise from the dead, then everything you said has to matter. Jesus, there are some folks in this room that for the first time gave their lives to you, said yes, they invited you in. Jesus, would you show them just how good and beautiful and powerful you actually are? Allow them to experience your Holy Spirit. Let them know that they have been forgiven. For those that have been following you, maybe uh, years ago they gave themselves, but today they needed to recommit. Jesus, you saw those hands all over. God, you saw those hearts. Jesus, let them mark this day, this moment as the day that that they came back to you fully to go all in for you. Jesus, you promised 
that you came to give us life and life to the full. And Jesus, I've seen that every single time I choose you, God, it's always better. It's always better. Whenever I try to do it on my own, God, I always wind up finding how those, those wells continue to dry up. You are the only well that has living water that never stops flowing. Jesus, let, let us all experience that. And for so many of us in this room, God, that we're doing our best imperfectly, but doing our best to follow you and know you, share with others what you've done in our lives. Today we're here because we want to celebrate you, the resurrection. Jesus, we, we believe, and we believe that you are worthy of praise because you have done what we couldn't do. You took the penalty that we deserved. You lead us now into that resurrection life. God, let us live it ourselves and let us give you praise for it. So we pray all these things in the beautiful, the powerful name, the risen Jesus and all God's people said. Friends, we're going to respond by singing, so will you stand with us? If you would like prayer, there will be people up front that would love to pray with you.
sing a song called Worthy of It All. It's a declaration that God is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our lives, of everything that we do in every circumstance. And there's a lyric in this song, it's a little bit of a newer song to us, that I thought it's important to know why this lyric is in this song. The bridge goes day and night, night and day, let incense arise. And some of you might think, hmm, incense, why is that in a worship song? In the Old Testament, there was actually an altar of incense that the high priests would burn day and night, 24-7. It was to be lit all the time as a physical and tangible representation of the people's prayers and praises. Now we know post-resurrection that the Holy Spirit lives in us and we have and the ability to lift our praises directly to the Lord. And scriptures tell us that it is like a sweet aroma of incense to him when we do that. So I just encourage you as we sing this song this morning to just declare that God is worthy of it all and lift your praise to him.
good. Thank you. Thank you for being here this morning to worship, to celebrate. Um, every single person got one of these when they walked in this morning. It's a little contact card, and uh, there's three options on there. I've made a decision today to follow Christ or to recommit myself. Um, maybe you're going through something that's just tough right now, and you'd like some folks to pray for you. So there's a little box that just says, I'm going through a hard time, would like some prayer. Or I've got some questions. Love to talk to somebody. I'd love, everybody's got a pen. Um, if you made a decision today, uh, we want to follow up. It's not just so that we can like mark some numbers down in some book somewhere. It's not about that. It's about the reality that none of us is able to do the Christian life on our own. We all need a tribe. We all need a wolf pack. Lone wolves die, people. We need to be doing it with others. And so we want to know. So if you would simply grab that pen right now, grab this and just put your name down there. Pretty simple. And, uh, you know, if you're uh, under 40, I guess we can just get your cell phone. We know you won't check your email anyway. If you're over 40, you don't even maybe have a cell phone. So go ahead and put your email on there. Uh, we'll make sure to get in touch with you either way. We just simply want to follow up, especially for those of you that made a decision today to either recommit or to give your life to Christ for the first time. Maybe you need some prayer. Just please grab that and do that. Uh, friends, I'm so glad that you chose TLC to come and worship at this morning. It really matters. We believe that when the body of Christ is gathered, Christ as the head of his body is here in a unique, powerful way. And I hope that you experienced risen Christ today. He is alive. He's still speaking. He's still working. He's still changing lives. He's doing it with mine. If you're brand new to TLC, you've never been here before, uh, just outside these doors and to the left, we've got this thing called the Guest Hub. We would love to say hi. We've got a free gift we would love to give to you and uh, answer any questions that you might have. We're super stoked that you were here today, and we hope that you have a stinking awesome rest of your beautiful Easter Sunday. Y'all are free to go. Please leave that on your chair when you're done. We'll grab them afterwards. Thank you so much, guys.